Well, good morning. I'm a little earlier than normal. That's all right, right? It's like as long as it's not longer than normal, it's fine. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Hey, um, there's a game this afternoon. Did y'all know that? Let me ask a few questions just as we're here. How many of you here are rooting for the Chiefs? Let me see the Chiefs fans in the house. See that hand, Bobby Watts? All right. How many of you are here rooting for the Niners? Let me see those hands. All right. Let me ask this question this way. Those of you that are rooting for the Niners, how many of you are really just rooting against Travis Kelsey? Let me see. All right. Got that. All right. Got those hands there. Um, how many of you are rooting for the commercials? What's that you're rooting against? See those? Wow. The commercials win. All right. No, you're excited about all those movie trailers coming and commercials we'll all be mad about at the end of the night. And so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, I was thinking this week, I don't know if you have heard or not, but they think this is going to be the most watched Super Bowl ever. Right? And, and there are several reasons for that. It's two really good teams. Two uh, storied franchises in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes has become either the next Tom Brady or the next Peyton Manning that get there and may not win as much. There's also this little pop star that's involved in some ways, right? Can I get an amen for or a, ugh, for Taylor Swift, right? Right? And here's what I, I'm really—it's interesting because I, I've watched football a long time. Anytime there's a celebrity in the crowd, they show them all the time. But for some reason, Taylor has uh, set off a little bit more angst. Is that a good word? Okay, and I began to think, well, what's the reason for that? And, and I don't know. I don't have all the answers in life, but I think part of it is there's a group of people that are there tonight for the football game. Like I saw a sports guy say, are you going to a Super Bowl party? He goes, no, I've got my notebook out and I'm watching the game. And there's a little bit like sometimes we get into places and we're like, man, you know what? Like, this is my deal. This is my thing. And outsiders start to come in. You're like, you don't even know what's going on here. And the Super Bowl's always that way. But this week, it feels like it's a lot that way. People are tracking planes from Japan. Right. And so the question becomes, why is everybody so upset? And it's because they feel like in some ways a game has turned into something that it shouldn't be. We've been in a series on renewal. And today we're going to look at a time when Jesus saw something turn into something it wasn't supposed to be. Mark chapter 11. Take your Bibles and turn there. And we're going to look at... A time in Jesus's life when he did something really kind of uncharacteristic from the rest of his ministry. Now, let me just set the scene for you. We're in Mark chapter 11. I don't know whether you know this or not, but today not only is the end of the football season, but this week is the countdown to what some have called, perhaps irreverently, the Super Bowl of the Christian life, which is Easter. This Wednesday begins the official countdown that the church has called Lent. For centuries, that starts this Wednesday, and we are just seven weeks away from Easter as of today. 
And we are in Mark chapter 11, right after the triumphal entry where the palm trees are laid and Jesus comes in as a conquering hero into the city of Jerusalem. It's the first time really he's allowed the crowds to anoint him and exalt him in a way that is over the top. And he walks into the city, comes in and rides into the city and people are overjoyed with what's happening. He goes back to Bethany for the night, stays there and then comes back to the city the next morning. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 15, 16, and 17, he has this little moment that you've probably heard about, and I have referenced in other sermons, but I do not think. Now, some of you may have notes from a sermon I did in 2009. I don't know. I don't think I've ever preached a full sermon on these three verses. And in verse 15, it says, They, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and he began to throw out those buying and selling He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. We have to realize when we come to this passage, when we see Jesus coming into the temple and doing what he's doing here, it's a little out of character. And we see him turning over the tables. The the picture would have been that it was a kind of a violent moment. I mean, when it describes it in the original language, it's not a simple like knocking things down. It is throwing. It is whipping the people out of there, getting them out of where they are. We have to understand where he is. This is the temple. This isn't a a small synagogue on the edge of town. This isn't some people's local congregation. This is the temple. It's not just any place of worship. This is not just any church building. It's not just any place or sanctuary. This is the place God had in the Old Testament told people that his glory and his presence would dwell among his people. You remember a few weeks ago when we um, started this series on renewal that was supposed to be four weeks and it's going to be more than that? When we started, we talked about Solomon dedicating the temple. Do you remember that? And that first week of January. And remember what happened when he prayed the prayer and asked God to bless this place and that he would listen to the prayers and that he would dwell this place. And if you remember, the glory of the Lord showed up to the point that they could not go into the temple. This was the place God had said. Now, this isn't that exact temple. That temple had been destroyed, but it had been rebuilt, and it was the same presence and idea. If you were a Jewish person and you wanted to encounter the presence of God, you would come to the temple. People would travel from miles and miles away, sometimes uh, only once a year, sometimes maybe only a few times in a lifetime. Some, For some, though, it was a regular routine that they were around the temple. And as we look at this today, what I want us to understand is that sometimes the most difficult obstacles to renewal in our lives and our churches is our familiarity with the things of God. Here's what Jesus is calling them to do in this passage. First of all, he's calling them to rediscover the majesty of God. There's a part of this passage that I've never really focused on, and in doing some study this week, I found and looked up and made sure of, that's just astounding to me to think about. And it's a verse that sometimes gets thrown away. Everybody focuses on the turning over the tables. Everybody focuses, and we will, on the statement that he makes at the end about the fact that he is, he is, this has been turned into a den of robbers. 
But there's this verse before that that says in verse 16, Jesus would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. You're like, what is, what is that about? So I get the turning over tables or we can talk about why that is and all of that. But what does it mean he's carrying through the temple courts? And as I read some literature, did some research this week, one of the things they said had begun to happen in Jerusalem, especially with this version of the temple, is that if you, uh, if you were in Jerusalem at that time, the temple was a massive structure. And if you were walking from one area to the opposite area of town and had to go by the temple, to go around the temple would have been a major ordeal. Anybody here ever been to the, uh, the U.S. Capitol? Like, anybody ever walked around the U.S. Capitol? Yeah. We were there this past summer. My boys... Um, you know, went on their own a little bit and then we were going to meet them later and we'd given them some direction and we ended up on opposite sides of the Capitol. And we're like, well, just come on, walk on over. And then we have Life 360. Anybody, y'all know what Life 360 is? Tracks your kids. It's a uh, uh, Homeland Security for parents. It's awesome. Um, can I get an amen from parents in the house? Amen. Let's see it. All right. Um, and so we're watching them, and it looks like they're barely moving because it's such a big complex. To come around takes a long time. So they said in the temple, what had begun to happen is that people, instead of walking around the temple, would just walk through it on just normal business stuff. Around the outer edge of the temple, but they would still walk and use it as a pathway. And it says... In this passage, what it's talking about here is that Jesus is basically saying, don't you realize where you're walking? He's basically, and this is a place where you come to encounter the glory of God. It's not a casual walkway. It's not just something that you kind of have to go through from one thing to another. It's huge. It's important. It's monumental. They were walking right past the place where God was dwelling and it did not impact them at all. They were too familiar with the things of God. They had become uninterested in his majesty. Another way to put that is they had completely forgot who the God is that they serve. Psalm 24 reminds us that when we come into the presence of the Lord, we need to come respecting who he is, understanding who we are. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? They have forgotten the holiness and the majesty of the God they served. And when you look throughout the Bible, when people are given access to the presence of God... There are a couple of things that are always taking place in that moment. First of all, it it gives this picture that God's always on a throne, right? One of the things that I think, and we're going to talk today about a couple of errors we make in prayers or thoughts about the Lord. One of the errors we make, sometimes I hear people, is like, you've got to put God back on the throne of your life. Or you've got to make the Lord, you've got to make God the Lord of your life. Here's what I want to tell you. He is. He had never stepped off the throne, and you can't take him off of it. 
Now, you may need to recognize or understand or submit to the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of the Lord. But He's there in every heavenly throne room scene we see. He is there high and exalted, lifted up. I mean, in Isaiah chapter 6, in Ezekiel chapter 1, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 10, even in the transfiguration when it's Jesus that's kind of standing in that place of God blessing Him, but they're in awe of what they see of God. Every single one of them is overwhelmed, and they are always crying out the same words, right? What are those words? Holy, holy, holy. Just again and again and again. He is different. He is perfect. He is better. He is higher. He is more. He is awesome. He is worth our worship. Everything that they see about those that are surrounding him reminds them that God is not like us. He is not just a better version of us. He's not just a higher plane of us. He is completely different, completely different than us. And every one of them understand that. That God is not like us. And that you approach Him with caution. When Isaiah sees the Lord, he says, woe is me. When Ezekiel sees the Lord, it says that he got as low as he possibly could on the ground. He became flat. In Revelation, there's this place where it, it, basically he says, I, I didn't feel like I should be there. There's even a place when God reveals some things to him and he says, the angel goes, don't write that down. Like, <laughs> Don't talk about that. And the transfiguration, right, when they have them all there, what do they do? They want to build shelter so that they're protected from it. Moses is told, I can't see you face to face. Like there's this caution that must be there. It's not a casual encounter with the God of the universe. Every one of those encounters, they feel the weight, the glory of who God is. And there's mystery there. Here's what we have to understand. For renewal to happen, we have to remember His majesty. It's the same God we serve, same yesterday, today, and forever. So let me ask you a question, because God is with us. We'll talk about that in a minute, all the time. And so you're in the presence of the Lord. But there's something special about God's people coming together to sing praises to his name and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so let me ask you this question. When you walked in here today into this place that we have dedicated an hour to spend together worshiping the Lord, what was on your mind? Maybe it was on some issues that have been going on the last week. Maybe it's what you have coming up the next week, maybe it's on lunch plans or the game this afternoon or hoping that I don't go too long. Or When you came into this room, were you contemplating the infinite grandeur and the majesty of the God that we are about to sing to? Were you aware of His greatness and understanding that this is an opportunity for me in the smallest way imaginable, to give thanks and to glorify your name? Or have we become too familiar with the things of God? What Jesus wanted them to do there was to understand the majesty of the one that was dwelling in the temple. Not the temple itself, but the one that was dwelling there. Secondly, here's the greatest news that we have, is that God does not dwell in houses made by man. And because of what Jesus did, he is now with us.
See, they were walking in and out through the presence of God, and it never hit them. His glorious presence was dwelling with them in this place. And what a huge thing was, they completely missed it. They thought they could turn it on and turn it off and not worry about it. And yet we know in Scripture that God promises His presence with us. That He is with us till the end of the age. And He wants us to understand that what He desires from us is not attendance in a church service. It's not singing songs that are required to be sung. It's not a particular style of worship or particular understanding of Scripture. What He wants from us is a heart that recognizes His majesty and embraces His presence. And Isaiah chapter 1 is a passage about... There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 1 about God's looking over the worship of his people and realizing that something is missing. Starting in verse 11 through 14, it says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, the trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. It's a picture of a people who were doing everything they thought God had asked of them, but they were coming out of obligation and without a recognition of who was there. God stands and says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. I wonder if God was to evaluate our worship, what would he say to us? There is a type of worship that does not bring honor to God. And it's a temptation for us in every generation. When we come into this place together as his people, we must come recognizing his majesty and understanding his presence. A.W. Tozer said, God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. And we, I don't think if I ask anybody here in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't think if I ask you, hey, do you believe God is with you? That any of you would say, no, he's not with me. And it may be one of the most acknowledged truths of God's character. And yet it may be one of the least realized in our lives there's a prayer that i'm guilty of i remember it specifically a lot at Southside baptist church that's the church i went to until i was about five years old it's a country church in dyersburg that's where my grandparents went to church and i remember uh, the guy that i've talked about before a guy named moody gold and used to get up and pray on sunday mornings and one of the things that he would pray oftentimes is lord just be with us it's a prayer that I've prayed, and Scripture tells me I don't have to pray that, because He is. The better prayer is, Lord, help us to realize You are with us. Now, here's what I want to tell you about that, too. 
When I was growing up, man, the thought of God being with me all the time scared me to death. Amen? Like, he sees me at all times. He knows everything I think. He knows what I think before I think it. He knows what I say before I say it. He knows what I started to say that I didn't say because I thought better of it. And yet, Scripture makes it very clear that His presence with us is not a bad thing. It is a glorious thing. This morning, as we come into this place, and as we prepare to worship, my question is, did we come in prepared to worship the God of the universe who is with us? Did we come ready to recognize His presence and rediscover His majesty? And so... This is part one of the sermon this morning. There will be a part two. But before that, I want to invite you to worship. Band's going to come up. They're going to sing songs about the glory and the majesty of God. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to stand up and sing like you always do without, if you do that without any meaning or thought of who God is. I'm not saying everybody does that, but if that's you, like... If you're going to just stand and and just mouth words, Scripture says it's detestable to the Lord. So as we sing and as we worship this morning, let us acknowledge the majesty of the God we serve and let us recognize that He is with us. Hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are... Lord, I'm overwhelmed with the reality that You even care enough about us to be with us. And yet your word promises that you're here amongst us, that you're here in us, that you are with us. The God of the universe, the most majestic, the most awesome, the incomparable God that no one is like is with us in this room. And Lord, you are worthy of everything we can give you, of all the praise and the glory and the honor and the strength and the might that we have. You are worth every bit of it. And so, Lord, today as we worship as a people, Lord, we pray that you would hear the words of our lips, that they would match the thoughts of our minds and the desires of our hearts. And Lord, that they would be an acceptable sacrifice because we don't have much else to give. And so, Lord, we offer the breath in our lungs and the words of our worship to you. Because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know what some of you are thinking right now. He went out and bought a new plant. I did not. This is the plant from last week. I would take, I gave it three cups of water, and that's what happened. That's the Lord's work there. It's the evidence of our lives, right? We do very little, and the Lord does abundantly more. It'll have a point here in a minute, okay? Um, I didn't want y'all just to see how proud you were of me for bringing the plant back to life, except for this uh, apparent uh, stem I broke on the way out here. So sorry about that one. So why did Jesus want us to do with what he says? 
He got onto them because they, he's flipping tables, he's doing all that. First of all, because they didn't recognize the majesty of God that they were worshiping. Because they didn't understand the presence of God. But there were two other things, and this is kind of where it hits the road for us today too. When he looks at them, and it tells us that he says, they came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Two things that I think he wants us to understand that if renewal is going to happen in our lives, first of all, we have to recognize Remember his majesty, recognize his presence, but two other things that we have to do for true renewal to continue in our midst. And that is, first of all, we have to reflect his holiness. The importance of the holiness of God, it tells us in scripture, we talked about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. It means set apart. It means different. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Our holiness is not the same as his holiness, but what we have to understand is he still calls us to be holy. To be set apart, to be different. And just so you kind of get a picture of what's happening here, people would come and sometimes they would come from long distances and they would get to the temple. And at the temple they would have to offer a certain sacrifice, but they may not have that uh, uh, sacrifice. They have to buy the sacrifice, the animal to sacrifice. They may not have the exact coins that they need. And so they would have to go and get different kinds of money, exchange money to get the coins they need for the temple money to pay for the sacrifice that they need in order to make the sacrifice to God that they needed to make. And in the midst of that, you would have had this kind of a bizarre like scene set up outside and people are there exchanging. And it's understood that part of what was happening is they were taking advantage of people in those marketplaces, charging them above what was required, making people pay exorbitantly for the right to sacrifice to God. Imagine Jesus walking in on that day and thinking about, especially those who were less fortunate, that were unable to meet the demands that were there, being taken advantage of by the temple, the representation of what God's presence was supposed to be to these people. In that moment, he is righteously angry. And so he begins to flip stuff and he's basically saying that this place is supposed to be a place of safe haven set apart that is different than what happens out there. That this place where God's presence dwells is supposed to be different than the world out there. Set apart, unique, different. And let me just say this, not different just for the sake of being different, not weird just to be weird, different according to the policies, the commands, the laws of God. And so the question becomes in our lives, is our life different than those who don't believe? Do we operate our lives differently than those who are unbelievers or our lives the exact same. Do we operate our church like the world operates their businesses? Or are we different? Think about your own life. Do you spend your time on the internet any differently than those that aren't believers do? Do you spend your life in relationship? Do you treat your wife 
your husband, your kids, your parents, any differently than the world around us? Do you handle your money differently than those that are around us? Is it given priority in different places that give glory and honor to the Lord? Or are we just as materialistic as other people in the world? And I'm not, again, not, not saying that we are being weird just to be weird, but the question is, are we different? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 20 says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore honor your God with your body. A couple of things about that passage. First of all, we've talked about this before, that you in that often gets interpreted. I've seen this verse put on walls of gems. Right? Your body is a temple of God. Take care of your body. That is not what is intended here, although God wants us to be healthy, okay? The you here, this is where, again, we need a southern version of the Bible. This is y'all are the temple of God. Us, the church, is the temple of God. And this is a significant statement because the temple of God, just as it did in Jesus' day, represents the presence, the manifest presence and declaration of who God is to the world around us. In the Old Testament, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was his presence to them. When the the Israelites are exiting out of um, Egypt, he goes with them as a cloud and as a fire. When he sets up the tabernacle, he has the Ark of the Covenant that represents that I am with you. That goes into the temple, and the temple becomes the place where God says, I am with you, my presence will dwell here. The temple is destroyed. Jesus comes and says that he is God, incarnate, in the flesh, is the temple of the Lord, displayed for us to see the glory of God. And now that Jesus has gone back to the right hand of the Father, that is there making intercession for us in the heavenly places, now on earth, the presence of of God dwells within the people of God, we are to be the broadcasting of God's truth through our lives. And when we're connected to him, we will show that in a healthy way. This plant was not healthy last week. I I joked about getting a new plant. A couple of the people on the band did not believe this was the same plant. They were like, it was like dead. I was like, it wasn't dead. It was on life support, but it wasn't dead. Literally watered it, put it in a spot to get a bit of light, and it started to think because it's being taken care of. When our lives are being taken care of and following the Lord, they will bear fruit. That will be different. So the question that I have is, what areas of your life are not reflecting the holiness of God? And for us as a church, what areas of our church are not reflecting the holiness of God? One other thing in this passage, and then we're done. Let us not just remember his majesty, recognize his presence, reflect his holiness. We must finally re-engage his purpose. And if you miss this, you miss the ultimate point of what Jesus is doing here. When he turns the table over, he quotes two prophets together, Jeremiah and Isaiah. He says, you know the line, right? This house is to be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. In Jeremiah, that... 
den of thieves comment is there because they had turned his house of worship into something that was just ritualistic and bringing sacrifices, but not really meaning them. And he says that what you're doing is you're turning this place that is supposed to be a place where we give glory and honor to the Lord into somewhere where you're not giving what you're supposed to. You're robbing God of what is intended. The first part of that, my house shall be a house of prayer in the book of Isaiah. There is this astounding passage of scripture. It comes in Isaiah chapter 56, and you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down and turn there later. In Isaiah chapter 56, it says, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So to understand what's going on here, you have to understand a couple of things. First of all, you have to understand that passage in Isaiah is obviously talking about foreigners, Gentiles who will come to worship the Lord. And he says, I always want to make a spot for the outsiders who are coming to worship me. You have to understand how the temple was structured. What was at the very center of the temple? Was the Holy of Holies, right? How many people got to go in the Holy of Holies? How often? Once a year. One person, once a year, Holy of Holies. Right outside the Holy of Holies was the holy place. A few more people got to go in a few more times a year, but it was still a limited group. Priest only. Outside the Holy of Holies, the holy place... Then to the court of men, Jewish men, where all Jewish men were allowed to come and to worship. And then outside the court of men was the Jewish court of women, where all women were allowed to come and worship. And so you go from the holy of holies to the holy place, to the court of men, to the court of women. And then what was outside of that? The court of Gentiles, where anyone could come. Do you want to take a guess where all this buying and selling and trading was going on in that temple? In the court of Gentiles. The place where everyone's supposed to be welcome had become the most crowded, hard to get to, and the place where people were taken advantage of. And so when Jesus comes in and says, you have made my father's house That is to be a house of prayer for the nations. He's referencing Isaiah 56 where this was supposed to be a place where people could understand the presence of God and come to know God and follow God even if they weren't born into the Jewish line. And you have desecrated the place available to the nations. One of the biggest mistakes, Israel's biggest mistake was always idolatry. Outside of idolatry and past idolatry that was cured through the exile, Israel's biggest mistake in Scripture is they forgot that God came for all people, not just them. The biggest mistake the church makes today, outside possibly idolatry of giving into the things of this world, is that we have forgotten that God came for the nations, not just for us. In any time, our focus becomes on us and our needs being met. 
and not the nations and how God wants to reach them. We have misinterpreted the will of God. We have to re-engage His purpose. It's for those who are without to hear and to know. And to do that requires great sacrifice. True renewal always leads to God-sized sacrifice and obedience. Where are we, church? What in your life is not reflecting the holiness of God? What in our church is not reflecting the holiness of God? What in your life is not engaged in the purpose and the plan of God? What in our church is not engaged in that? We're going to have a time of response here. Maybe you just need to come. Maybe it is just a recognition today. Man, I have been taking the things of the Lord too lightly, and you need to come and pray about that. No one, I'll be down here. You can come talk to us. Maybe you're here and you've, you've never had a relationship with the Lord. You've never accepted Him. And here's what I want you to know. I know that sometimes we as believers are not the best reflection of God, and that's because we're sinners and we, we, we mess up. But the God that we serve is awesome and mighty and powerful, and he loves you more than anyone else on this earth. He desires a relationship with you. And if you're here and you're not a believer, I know this really hadn't been a sermon that focused on that, but let me just tell you, there's no better day than today to settle that in your heart. And so as we sing in a moment, if you want to come and ask about that or you need to have a conversation about that, I'll be down front. Noah will be down front. If you're here, church, and you're just like, man, there's some things in my life that aren't reflecting the holiness of God. There's some things in my life that aren't reflecting the purpose that God has placed on our lives. I'm going to just ask you to come and to pray. If you're here and you realize that, man, these are some things I wish our church would understand about the purpose and the power and the obedience and the holiness of God. And I pray this. I pray our church would be there. We've been praying all year for the Lord to build our church, not us. For the Lord to build our lives, not us. For the Lord to build His kingdom, not us. I'm praying that this morning. And understanding that we can't do any of it without the Lord. And so I'm going to pray. And when I finish praying, I'm going to ask you to respond as the Lord leads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for an example like cleansing the temple to show us, Lord, what it means to be cleansed, to understand your will and your desire. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a new understanding of your holiness, of your majesty, that you would help us, Lord, to recognize your presence among us now and even as we go through each day. Lord, that you would help us to reflect your holiness, to be the fruit that you call us to be, the Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control that you've called us to be to the world around us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to focus always on your purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.